The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Oh, I'd ask you guys to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you speak. We pray that as we again encounter your son uh, this morning, Lord, that we're drawn closer to you, uh, closer to who you'd have us be, closer to the grace and love of God. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we are in a series called Encounters with Christ. We've been walking through the season of Lent, the season toward the cross and towards the resurrection, and saying we just want to hang out with Jesus a little bit. And so we've been in the Gospel of Mark, and we've been focusing on different encounters that his disciples or other people had with Jesus. And from those encounters, figuring out, okay, so then how does our relationship with Jesus work? How does our relationship with God work? And it's at this point in the story, in Mark 9, that Jesus is entering the home stretch of his earthly ministry. So the timing of Jesus is, he shows up, and for 30 years, he's just a normal guy, a good guy, but he's got parents, he's got a job, he's working, he's doing his own thing, and he's just being human. He's learning what it's like to be human, which again, for us, is good news, because that means that we have a God who understands what it's like to be in the day-to-day grind of doing life. For 30 years, Jesus is just a normal guy learning the experience of humanity, which means that we have a God who can empathize with our hurts, with our strengths, with our celebrations, and with the times that we mourn. But then after those 30 years, Jesus begins what we consider his public ministry. And then for about three years, he goes around, and now he is on the main stage. Now he is proclaiming who God is, what God has called him to do, that he is the Son of God, the Messiah that has come to redeem and to save Israel. Again, that happens for about three years, and this is in the last home stretch of that public ministry. He's probably in what we would consider the season of Lent, the 40 days before he is going to ultimately go to the cross. And one of the things that I love about this part of Scripture is that when you start reading Jesus in this season of his ministry, his words become a little bit more raw. They cut a little bit deeper than they do at the front end of his ministry. And again, I actually find a level of comfort there because there is a myth within the church that if you are a good Christian, you are always positive. And if you have any other emotion other than a positive emotion that's loving and kind and good and gentle and peaceful, right? if you have any other emotion other than that, it's not of God, right? You know, the people who are like, how are you doing today? I'm blessed. The house could literally be burning down around them, right? Timber could be falling down. There could be flames coming up. And we still think as Christians, I have to respond in that moment, I'm at peace. Everything's okay. There's no chaos. I trust in God, right? We have this theory, this myth in our head that we always have to be positive, that we always have to be in this healthy, good spot mentally. And what we see is healthy doesn't always mean positive, and Jesus lives this out. And so we're going to read a couple of stories leading up to Mark 9 that are going to kind of flush out Jesus' emotional state, right? So this first one that we're going to read is right after Jesus feeds 5,000 people, right? And he does this with a couple of lunchboxes, essentially, right? He says, hey, we should feed these folks. Take some bread, take some fish, a couple loaves. And he says, just start passing it out. There's going to be enough. And sure enough, 5,000 people are fed, right? So he finishes this up, and then he's leaving with his disciples, and he tells this to his disciples. He says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat, And Jesus' response to this is, be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. He's talking about watch out for bad religious teaching. Watch out for people 
who are going to say, no, this is what really God cares about. Because watch out for that, because they're going to be all over the place. And they, being the disciples, discussed this with one another and said, it's because we don't have any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do your eyes fail to see and your ears fail to hear? Don't you remember? Literally, we are talking the paragraph before this. He's feeding everyone. He goes, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And you can just hear them, right? Like, they've got to be super quiet. Like, 12, 12, 12. Yes, yes. And when you broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? They answered seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? Right? There is this disconnect that is happening, and it's starting to chafe Jesus a little bit. He's literally shocked by how oblivious they are to what he's trying to do. And again, I actually find comfort in my own life in that, because oftentimes I think I'm pretty oblivious to what God's doing. I can get so caught up in an immediate need in front of me, right? Like, oh, I got to get my car fixed, or I got to do this, or I got to do that. And that, that starts to overcome my thinking. It takes up all of my mental space. And God's like, Josh, I, I provide daily bread. You are alive today because I have never forgotten to provide daily bread for you. But all of us can get into that oblivious space, but it, it starts to kind of rub up against Jesus the wrong way. He's like, there's a dissonance here. And he starts to speak and vocalize that dissonance to his disciples. A little bit longer, he's talking to his disciples about his ministry, what the end of this ministry is going to look like. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. But three days later, he'll rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and begins to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus' ministry is leading up to this point. He knows where he's got to go. And he literally tells Peter, You're aligning with Satan right now. Stop it. Imagine hearing that from Jesus. Like, that, that, that is a deep cutting remark, right? To be like, hey, you're, you're actually more with Satan right now than you are with me. Stop it. You don't have the things of God in mind. You have the things of humanity. You think what humanity is going to call a success. That is what God's after. And again, we all fall into that trap, right? It's how big of a house we have or how much money we make or how nice of a Facebook picture we can get. We have broken thinking, and it's concerned about the things of man, not the things of God. And again, this hurt makes sense for Jesus because he knows where he's about to go, right? He knows he's in the home stretch where ultimately he is going to have to be tortured, humiliated. He's going to have to die. He's in pain, he's scared. And what happens next in the story is something that we call the transfiguration. And this is where God, Jesus goes up to a mountaintop with a couple of his disciples. And he has this worship experience with God where his full divinity is shown for a brief moment. And it's this beautiful picture of God saying, this is the Messiah, this is the chosen one. It's almost like he's refilling Jesus to go this last home stretch, this last little bit to the cross. 
And Jesus has this great worship experience. And again, I've had these before, right? Where you're like, man, I heard God today. I sang the right songs. The prayer was right there. The message was right there. I am charged. And then I get home and there's nothing but squabbling. Have you guys ever had that? Where you're like, man, that was awesome. And then you pull out of the parking lot and someone cuts you off and like all of that good mojo just disappears, right? That's essentially what happens with Jesus at the beginning of our text today, right? So this is right after the transfiguration, right after all this beautiful thing happens. And then we have this. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them, right? Jesus comes back to his family and they're bickering. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to him. Jesus comes out of this mountaintop experience, a literal mountaintop experience. And he comes down to people who are fighting, who are angry, who still aren't getting the things of God, but are focused on the things of men. They're just duking it out. And again, you start to see this rawness of Jesus. You start to see his heart. You start to see where he's heading towards, what ministry looks like. And Jesus responds, he says, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Right? Because this is all about this kid who can't be healed. The disciples can't figure out how to heal him, can't figure out how to fix him. And what we see is two things from Jesus. He's honest with them, right? He's frustrated with broken people, with people who squabble, with people who get angry. But he still invites hurting people to him. Again, I think as Christians, this is something we have to learn, is that working with broken people is hard. Working with people who have baggage is difficult. And we don't have to just pretend that it's not. We don't have to always just have positive emotions about every situation that happens in our life. Jesus didn't. But just because it's hard, just because there's going to be a challenge, doesn't mean that we don't lean into those situations. That we, not li- just that we like Christ, can say, you know what, yeah, hurting people hurt people, but I'm still willing to be a part of this situation. And we see this in Jesus. We see it in his heart. Then you get this prayer from the Father. So they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, well, how long has he been like this? Well, from childhood, the father answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This might be the most raw statement in the Gospels. I believe that helped me with all that stuff I don't. Every time I read this scripture, every time I encounter this father who's had to watch his son again and again and again suffer, try to commit suicide, that's what's happening here, right? That rawness, 
And this father's saying, God, I, I still believe in you. I brought my son to you, but there's still unbelief here. There's still some uncertainty here. And the reason why that's such a gut shot is because all of us have areas, this is true, right? Maybe it's a physical illness that you're wrestling with, that you've wrestled with your whole life. And you're like, God, I, I, I believe in you. I believe in your promises, but God, I need you to help me overcome this gap. Maybe it's in your marriage and some brokenness and some hurt there. And you're like, God, I believe in this marriage, but there is a lot of brokenness here. Maybe it's in your family or maybe it's in your work. God, I, I believe you have a job for me. I believe you have built me to work, but God, I got some gaps here. Maybe it's in a sin that keeps coming back again and again and again. You're like, God, I, I believe you don't want me to have to go back to this, but my gosh, is it buried deep? Is it entrenched deep? God, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. What's beautiful here is that Jesus does, right? Jesus allows us to take any level of belief, any level of getting to him, no matter how small, no matter how broken, no matter how fractured. And he says, that's enough. It connects to me. And then he says, now I'm going to walk with you in this. And that doesn't mean always that it's going to be as immediate as it is with the boy, right? Because the boy, he's, he's healed immediately. It's not always immediate. And yet we have a God who is faithful in daily bread, who is faithful in providing connection to him and an eternal promise that he's not done yet. And really, that's the story of the Gospels, a God who's not done yet. He sends Jesus to Israel, a people that's been in rebellion for generation after generation after generation, and God says, I'm not done with you yet. He sends Jesus to hurting people who are sick, who have been ostracized, and he heals them, and he connects them to community, and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I'm not done yet. Even in the darkest moment, when we, in our full rebellion, when humanity rejects God and says, we are done with you, we will torture you, we will humiliate you, and we will nail you to a cross, he says, I'm not done yet. I'm not done with you yet. See, the story of Jesus is a God who comes into the lives of broken people. He says, I'm not done yet. He says, whatever level of belief you have, that's enough for right now. Because I'm not done with it yet. I'm going to help grow it. I'm going to help take it to the next level. I'm going to start to fill in those gaps and again, it's not immediate, but it's constant. And there is a promise there. And because of him overcoming even death, it's a promise we can trust in. We're going to take some time to pray. We're going to pray for a God who specializes in people who need help overcoming some unbelief. We're going to pray for our community. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're a good God. You're a God who 
cares for us even when we think of the things of men, not the things of you. You're a God who cares for us even when the hurts and the concerns of life start to chip at our faith, start to help us focus on the gaps, not on the solid foundation that you provided. Lord, where either concerns or sins or brokenness or past hurts, Lord, just color our entire outlook. Yet, God, you are a good God. And you do not turn us away when we come before you with the desperate prayer of, Lord, help us overcome our unbelief. You still walk with us. You still fight for us. You still protect us. You still rescue us. Lord God, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.